Zen history tells us that this tradition was founded by a Chinese Zen master by the name of Rinzai. That happens to be the Japanese pronunciation of his name, Rinzai Gigen, who lived sometime in the 8th or 9th century in China. And Rinzai's sayings were collected and written down by his disciples. And we know them as the Rinzai Roku, the collected sayings of Master Rinzai. And in that collection, there is one passage in which Rinzai says that living as a human being is like living in a burning house. The image of living in a burning house is quite powerful. And the burning house has been used in other texts before. We started out today chanting the, chap the chapter 25 of the Lotus Sutra, Myoho Renge Kyo. And chapter 25 of the Lotus Sutra is just one of many of the chapters of this very, very large sutra. And within the Lotus Sutra, there is a passage in which it describes how the king, some very wise king who has many, many children, children that are spoiled, children that are really engrossed in their toys, in their elaborate comforts, how the children are in, inside the palace, inside the house, but the king notices that the house is on fire. So a whole chapter deals with how the king got his children out. They rather would stay inside the burning house playing with their toys or being comforted by, the, by those comforts that they had than going out and doing something new and uh, escaping from the fire. So that was maybe the first description of what upaya is. Upaya is skillful means. The king used skillful means to get his children to come out of the house and thus escape the fire. In fact, the Lotus Sutra tells us that he promised them even more toys and even more comforts because that was the only thing that got them to come out and not to perish. Generally, Buddhism teaches us that living in the human realm is living in such a realm where there's always something on fire, 
we are born and like a candle we ourselves our lifetime is on fire and it diminishes with every second with every millisecond with every nanosecond that elapses in this activity that we call time there is no escape ultimately we all know that our time is limited how much we awake to what that means is a different question it's a question that this practice addresses please don't be mistaken and don't read any value judgments into this there's inherently no difference in value or in appreciation for a human being who has awoken to that urgency of the human life and another human being who devotes themselves to living their life in a different fashion no value judgment so when there's something on fire there's always smoke there's always heat and there's always something happening even if we look the other way here in Zen practice we learn to look at that fire because that fire that activity of Dharma that moves from one to the next and further and further without us being able to stop it without being truly able to fixate to hold on that energy that experience is something that can truly help us to be awake to the change to be awake to what is here to be awake what it means to be a human being in many cases Zen practice is being portrayed or is being painted as being something that has this wisdom is really the focus of it but we should never forget that wisdom is only one side the other the other side of Buddhist practice and Zen definitely is the practice of the Buddha the other side the complement and really necessary side is compassion and when wisdom and compassion come together then we can awaken to what it means 
to be one. When we sit zazen, inevitably we'll have the experience of oneness. We will get a glimpse that everything that exists is not different from what or who we are. We learn to understand and to experience that the separation between the object and the subject is what makes trouble, is what creates fixation, is what creates confusion, and ultimately is what is not only the basis for our own personal challenges, but also for the challenges of society and humanity at large. We have had some events in the past couple of weeks that let people ask, what is that? What a horrible thing to do. What a horrible person would do that, would try to hurt other human beings. And that is a very valid question. But as a Zen practitioner, as somebody who acts in the way that the Buddha approached things, can't just fall into the trap of objectification, of creating the distance between what we believe in and the other. Evil, which is a concept that you find in many religions, is not a concept in Buddhism. Evil and good are objects. They are ideas. And to a certain degree, I feel it was meant to be exactly in the same way that the king used a promise to his children to give them more goodies, more toys, and more comforts if they would come out. In the same way, human history and culture has created religions that present good and evil, but it's only skillful means. Ultimately, there is no such <coughs> thing as an object evilness, goodness. My first Zen teacher, Genro, always spoke of one of his most fundamental and moving experiences that he had. And that was he awoke to the fact that there are no evil <coughs> people. There are only evil actions. And that is a very important thing to understand. In the same way that there are, not, there are no good people, 
they are only good actions. All of that, anything that is based upon such understanding is quite different than living in a world where one clearly defines an objectified goodness or the objectified evil. What Doroshi would say here is, well, you have to understand that everything is yourself. And that's where the compassion comes in. You might have the wisdom to understand and to have experienced that there is no separation. But once we return to that human realm in which we live here and now, in which apparently they are evildoers and they are good doers, but in this human realm, when we see somebody who has done something horrible, we have to look at that person and see ourselves. This is myself. Zen practice asks us not to fall into the trap of leaving out, of rejecting, of pushing aside. No. We have to do it the much more difficult way of embracing. And embracing is not necessarily something that comes easily. Because to truly embrace, you have also to let go of all those ideas, all those moral thoughts, the moral worldviews that we have. Because if we cannot let that go in that moment where we meet that what appears to be bad, to be evil, then we ourselves are unable to compassionately manifest ourselves without holding back. In the same way, if you find yourself looking with pity or having a thought, oh my, I'm so glad I'm not that person. The Zen practitioner in yourself has to say, no, this is yourself. This is you. This is not the other. There is no such thing. And once we start doing that, practice becomes really interesting. That is where we meet our own limitations. That is where we run into our own opinions. 
into our own construct of what the world is or should be. And that is where the polishing of a more accomplished human being begins. There is no easy way to get to maturity. We are not a pumpkin that lies in the field and just naturally becomes ripe. Human beings have a mind, human beings have a heart, they have thoughts and the ability to reflect on the own self. Learning to use that ability to ultimately transcend its limitations is what Buddhist practice is about. The koan that you can carry with you in every moment of your life that should spring up every time you try to leave out, to reject, to distance yourself is this is myself. This is myself. <laughs> 